Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Exiles, well, I'm honored to be able to move forward today in this series and to minister what the Lord's put on my heart and a joy to see your faces. And, um, you know, I, I would rather minister seeing your face than just looking into the camera. Uh, I believe in the power of the local church, meaning the local assembling of God's people. And so, so honored to be a part of that today. With that being said, I'm going to read one passage of Scripture. Of course, in this series, we're looking at the book of 1 Peter, and I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. Beginning in verse 8. With that being said, you can follow along in the Bible app, the notes and the outlines there. Um, but just to be sort of upfront with you, where I am being moved to and directed to uh, long-term in ministering, and when I have opportunity to minister from this pulpit, is to transition from just following my notes and making sure I communicate all that's in the outline to ministering what is firing and what I'm sensing in the moment, all right? So, for you strong C personalities, I understand I'm a DC, uh, if you know the disc profile, but for you strong C personality, uh, you're going to get to grow in some of the spontaneity aspect, but I'll still provide the outline for you and you can go back through uh, in order the points and things like that. So, First uh, Peter chapter 5 beginning in verse 8, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. I want to teach a message today titled, Weapons of Exile. Weapons of Exile. And before I do... I would like to pray. Father, I thank you for access to you. Access that we didn't build, we didn't facilitate, we didn't create, but Lord, you and your grace and in faithfulness to your promises, you opened the way, a new and living way through the person of Jesus. And we honor Jesus as King, as the one who purchased his people, his body, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you make much of the precious Son of God. Minister to hearts, minister to lives. Do what only you can do, Holy Spirit, and I yield to you in Jesus' name. Amen. By definition, the word exile means expulsion from one's native land by an authoritative degree, a decree. A person banished from his or her native land. A prolonged separation from one's country or home as by force of circumstances. Now, Peter is writing directly to followers of Jesus 
who were exiles in that sense due to persecution. They have been pushed out from their native land. Now, what does that mean for you and I today? Well, today, almost all of us, if not all of us here, have not faced such an exile. So maybe for you in this series, when you think about being in exile, it might take on the meaning of a prolonged separation from one's country or home for you. You say, what do you mean? Well, listen, as a person who has been born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are citizens of a literal place called heaven. The true Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. And yet for the rest of our lives here on earth, we are separated from our true home, from heaven. Now, in my observation, for followers of Jesus in America, I would say too few of us identify with that aspect of being in exile. Meaning longing to actually be in our heavenly home, where we're actually a citizen, though we've not yet been there. Now, when you heard me read the definition of exile, you saw that in that definition it mentions as by force of circumstance. How you and I today, practically, how are we in exile by force or force of circumstances? Well, in that sense of being in exile, we are forced to have to submit, accept, and surrender to the way God has arranged this age to work. Let me explain. When you and I responded correctly to God's gospel, the gospel of His Son, Jesus Christ, we didn't get a vote or we didn't get to decide once we surrendered to Jesus as Lord whether we would instantly go to heaven that we're now a citizen of. God has arranged that we're here on this earth until death or until Jesus' return. So in that sense, we're forced to have to wrestle with and accept the way God has designed this age to work. So for you and I today, we are exiles by faith, not by force. We're exiles by faith, not by force. Think about it this way. God, through Christ, has called us out from our native land of this earth. From our native land of sin, lawlessness, self-will, into His kingdom, through the gospel, and we who have responded by faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ are to live separate from the course and the direction of this world around us. Now this brings us to our main text, 1 Peter 5, 8. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings... Notice we're to know something. Notice we're to know something. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Three quick things out of this passage. Number one, notice the devil cannot devour anyone. He says, seeking whom he may devour. What that means is some people are more vulnerable to being devoured by the devil than others. Secondly, 
The devil must be resisted. Notice he said, resist him. Now you can go to some churches, I don't encourage you to do, I thank God for dwelling place, it's not a church like that, but you can go to some churches that will get you killed. And I don't mean get you killed in a good way. But they don't believe that the devil should be resisted. They believe just everything that happens in the life of a follower of Christ is God's will. Well, the devil will then come and he'll steal and he'll kill and he'll destroy. Notice the apostle Peter, sent by Jesus, says that for you and I, we need to be aware that the devil must be resisted. We have to resist him. Thirdly, all followers of Jesus, he calls it the brotherhood, are in this same scenario. He said, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brother. We're all facing and in this scenario regarding the enemy, regarding the devil. Now, when you read all of 1 Peter, this first letter that Peter writes to exiled followers of Jesus, he mentions several enemies that you and I as followers of Jesus face while still on this earth. He mentions several, but let me highlight three. He mentions fleshly lust. He says it's an enemy. That sin has so affected our bodies that as long as we live on this earth, we have an enemy called fleshly lust that war against our soul. War against our mind, war against our attention, war against our will and our affections and our desires, and wars against our emotions. It's an enemy. In fact, that's why Paul in Romans 8, he said one of the hope of believers of wanting Jesus to return is that we get rid of this body and we get a glorified body. A body that no longer has the enemy called fleshly lust. Secondly, he mentions evil people. I find there seems to be a trend in the day we live in where it seems that so many brothers and sisters in the Lord have went to a wrong ditch and are scared or timid to actually declare that God says there are evil people. There are evil people. And Peter says that for followers of Jesus, that there are enemies we face called evil people. And then he mentions thirdly the devil. Fleshly lust, evil people, and the devil. Why does he highlight them? Because listen, all of them can produce forms of suffering in the lives of followers of Jesus Christ. Now, remember Peter says the devil's looking whom he may devour? Now there's many types of people the the devil can devour, but let me highlight three for us today. You ready? First, those who don't know and live the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Secondly, those who don't grow through the Word of God. And thirdly, those who don't see and relate to God the Father adequately. All three types or categories of people, even followers of Jesus, the devil can devour them. He can steal God's best from them. He can rob them from kingdom experience. Okay? Now, notice I mentioned three things. The blood of Jesus Christ, the Word of God, and the correct image of God the Father. And all three of those are weapons of our warfare. 
that as exiles, born as citizens of heaven, yet still living in this world, affected by sin, those three things are weapons of our warfare, watch this, and they're mighty in God. What that means is, is they're weapons that God has provided and they're weapons that only God can provide. They're weapons. They're mighty. They're mighty in God. They're not of human origin. They're not of human ability. They're not of science, technology, or industry. They're mighty in God. They're God's provision for you and I as exiles. And you say, now those three things, they don't seem too relevant to me. I don't seem to wake up thinking about the power of the blood of Jesus before I go to work. I don't seem always to, to think the Word of God's relevant when I'm facing trials and situations and circumstances. I don't always think that the correct image of the Father is so pressing when I'm facing so many cares of this life, and yet they are. Listen to me, they're relevant and they're applicable to our heart, to our conscience, to our mind, and to our attitude towards one another. Let me explain. Peter begins in verse 1 there, First Peter. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling, watch this, of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Here it is, verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice he mentions this phrase, genuineness of your faith. Peter is trying to help these Jewish followers of Jesus begin to connect what they're experiencing and going through to the issue of genuineness of faith. Why? Listen to me. Here's why. Situations and circumstances for a follower of Jesus alone are not sufficient evidence of our salvation. Now this is huge. Genuine faith is a faith that is deeper than looking to what we're currently going through or experiencing as sufficient evidence to assure our heart that we are saved and in right standing with God. That's why he highlights right there in the verses, he says, Jesus Christ, who having not seen, yet you believe in and love. What's he saying? He's saying genuine faith is a faith beyond the natural. It's a faith that goes beyond just what you're facing and what you're experiencing and what you're feeling. It's a faith beyond what we can see. Now why is this important? Because if our level of faith is just 
staying at the level of what we experience or what we see, we can be very easily deceived, moved, and vulnerable to these enemies that we still have while we're on the earth. A genuine faith, a deeper faith. And then he makes this statement. This statement really punched me in my face when I first understood it years ago. He says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Did you catch that? If need be. What that means is some of us, as followers of Jesus, need more trials than others of us. Boy, that was a punch in my face. Because when I came to Jesus, all I knew was trial after trial, thing after thing, because I brought with me a lot of dysfunction when I surrendered to Jesus. He says, if need be. What does this mean? Here it is, watch. God has a trial for every needed trait. Say, what trait? Listen, God's number one purpose for your life is to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's His number one purpose. In any areas where traits of Christ are not being displayed upon our life, He's got a trial for it. He's got a trial. He's got a pressure cooker. He's got a, he's got a crock pot. He's got some fiery trials available to help produce that trait of Christ to be formed in our life, if need be. Now he connects, let me show you this connection of genuineness of faith in the three areas and the three weapons of our exile that I mentioned, the blood, the word, and the father. Let me talk about the blood. Did you notice in verse 2 he mentions the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ? Now Peter's writing, watch this, to Jewish followers of Jesus. You know what that means? They know about the sprinkling of blood. They've grown up their whole life learning the law of Moses, learning God's specific requirements about the blood of bulls and goats and the blood on the Day of Atonement and the blood of pigeons and when you sin and when you make a mistake about the need of blood to cover that mistake, lest you be cursed. Least curses come upon your life. And so he's writing to Jews who know the law of Moses. In fact, did you know Peter was an apostle to the Jews? He ministered just to the Jews. Paul was sent to the Jews and Gentiles. And he's writing to them and they know about the need of, of blood to cleanse of guilt and, and for temporary forgiveness so that the Lord could bless them. So the Lord could bless their home and bless their business and bless the work of their hands. And he mentions now the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Not the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of Jesus Christ. Now why is this so important? Because you got to understand, Jewish people are aware of the law that said this. If you obey the commands, then God will bless you. And the blessings will run you down and overtake you. And if you go read the blessings, like Deuteronomy 28, it says that you'll have no enemies. He'll defeat your enemies. Peace and prosperity will be all around you. He'll protect you. He'll establish you in peace. He'll remove trials and tribulations. But then it goes on and says, but if you disobey the law of Moses, you'll have curses. 
enemies come into your land. Affliction and suffering and sickness. And he's trying to reorientate these Jews to something that was very hard for them, even as followers of Jesus, to understand and accept. There is another type of suffering that's not connected to disobedience. Watch this. These followers of Jesus are suffering. They're persecuted. They're pushed out of their native land. And he's trying to get them to understand that there's another type of suffering. There's a suffering for righteousness' sake. There's a suffering for the Messiah's sake. There's a suffering for the kingdom's sake. And he'll appeal to the pattern of Jesus throughout the letter. Throughout the letter to help reorient them and help them understand that the new covenant and what we're facing is different than the old covenant. That just because trials and sufferings happen, it doesn't mean that they're not forgiven. It doesn't mean that the blood hasn't cleansed them or covered them. That there's a suffering that happens because we're exiles and there's still enemies we face like fleshly lust, like evil people, like the devil and his kingdom. See, listen, there's a difference between suffering as a Jew and suffering as a Jewish believer in Yeshua, Jesus. There's a difference. Did you know there's a difference for you and I in suffering because we go against cultural standards and then suffering as a follower of Jesus? There's a difference. There's a difference. See, Jews thought for centuries, and they told their kids that when Yeshua the Messiah comes... He's going to visibly set up His kingdom. He's going to remove all enemies. He's going to remove all trials. He's going to remove all tribulation. His peace is going to flood the earth. The lion's going to lay down with the lamb. He's going to rule. It's going to be prosperous and peaceful and wonderful. And now here are these followers of Jesus who believe the Messiah's come and they're running for their life. See, Peter's got to reorientate now that Jesus is the Messiah. But the way God has arranged for the kingdom to come is different than what they were taught and how they were brought up. And he begins to talk about the precious. What's precious? See, Jewish thinking was this. If things are going bad, it's because sin hasn't been covered. If you're suffering and going through fiery trials, it's because the blood has not worked. God didn't receive the blood. And Peter's got to say, no, 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 no. No, there's another type of suffering. Suffering for Messiah's sake. In fact, he appeals and says, the Messiah Jesus, what did he do? He suffered first and then glories followed. Glories followed. That's what the whole book of Job's about, by the way, friend. It's an argument over right theology about the blood and about kingdom suffering. How could someone actually be right with God and the blood has worked and yet is still suffering? And that's what Peter's trying to help these Jewish followers of Jesus here. 
And that's why he mentions right at the beginning the sprinkling of the blood. And he calls it precious. And you know what hit me, friends? Is this question. When things go bad in my life, is the blood of Jesus still precious to me? When things go bad in your life, is the blood of Jesus still precious? Because notice what Peter appeals to. He's talking about getting genuine faith. A faith and a confidence in the precious blood of Jesus regardless of the circumstances and events that I find myself experiencing. A faith that's deeper than just surface level circumstances and experiences. The word precious means that which has greatest value and honor. The reason Jesus' blood is precious is that there's no blood like it. There is no human except Jesus who ever lived sinless in complete obedience to God and it did not become defiled by sin. What makes it precious is there's nothing else like it. Nothing else like it. It's precious. And Peter says to those who believe, it's precious. And here's the thought I had for us American followers of Jesus. In a blood, sweat, and tears culture, if we want to be distinct and stand out, we need to speak of a different type of blood. See, when, when we talk to one another and we encourage one another, well, just work hard. You work hard, God will bless you. Listen to me. There's nothing that stands out about that. An unbeliever in America believes and does that, most of them. That they work hard, they can make money in our country, and they can get the job that they want, and they can get the boat they've been wanting. Nothing stands out about that. But we're called to stand out, watch this, in the culture we find ourselves in. And what stands out in the culture you and I find ourselves is not focusing and celebrating our own blood, sweat, and tears, but putting the focus on the precious blood of Jesus. Let me put it this way. I had this thought. In a cover yourself with your own accomplishments and work of your own hands culture, we sprinkle ourselves with the blood, work, and the accomplishment of another. That's what makes us stand out. See, listen, friends. Do you know that you and I are not the subject of the gospel of God? We are not the focus point and the highlight of the gospel. And I repent for myself, and I repent for other peers in ministry and pastors, and I repent for the church in America where we have sounded just as much like the world and like the culture of America. If you'll do these steps, you'll have a successful life. If you follow this plan, you'll get this, this, and that. And we sound like nothing different, and there's no distinctness about us. They can go buy the book of a counselor and get that stuff. But listen, what makes us distinct in America is that we believe in the precious blood and necessity of Jesus. 
And we're not looking to celebrate the work of our own hands and accomplishments because we're not the central matter of the subject. Jesus Christ and His work and accomplishment is. That's to be our difference. Our difference. You understand Paul was a tent maker. What that means is he knew how to work hard. He knew how to run a business. He knew how to do things just like unbelievers in the culture he lived. Knew how to do it. But you know what he said? I don't boast in any of that. He said, if I'm going to boast in anything, I'm only going to boast in what Christ has accomplished through me. Because listen, that's what unbelievers can't have. Is they can't have the manifestation of Christ and the kingdom of God in their life without believing and trusting in the precious blood of Jesus and accepting the perfect work and accomplishment of Jesus. And the gospel needs to get back to Jesus and His blood being the focus so it can become offensive again. Because when it's not offensive, it's not on the offense. And it just leads to people not being shaken with the reality that their own works and ability and hands isn't sufficient to make them right with their Creator. And people don't look for a Savior if they're not aware of their need. The blood of Jesus confronts me, it confronts us, that there's cultural accomplishments, but then there's kingdom accomplishments. And my thought and my challenge to me and us moving forward is this. If we perceive the blood of Jesus as precious, we should stand out in a major way. Because we should keep putting the focus back on that which is the most uncommon thing on the earth. The precious blood of Jesus. Listen to me. Human accomplishments isn't precious because there's a lot of that on the earth. Working hard is not precious. There's a lot of that in America. What's precious is the blood of Jesus. There's nothing else like it. And because there's nothing else like it, it can do things that nothing else can do. And that's why it's a weapon for you and I. Because this precious blood of Jesus is a weapon for our conscience and our heart. Did you know Scripture mentions a weak conscience? It mentions a good conscience. It mentions a cleansed conscience. It mentions a perfect conscience. And it mentions faith and a good conscience. Here's the point. Our faith in the precious blood of Jesus is what God finds is more precious than gold. And this is Peter's exhortation to these believers who are going through fiery trials. He's saying, listen, when your heavenly Father looks at you, what He finds precious about you is when you have faith in the precious blood of Jesus. That's what the Father finds precious. When the Father looks down at you, He's not finding precious what you and I can do in our own accomplishment. Hebrews is clear, without faith we can't please God. Do you know what pleases God? When we believe in the precious blood of Jesus... And when we believe in the perfect work and accomplishment of Jesus, the Father finds that precious. Because listen, Jesus put it this way. He says, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? 
He'll find a lot of accomplishments. He'll find a lot of work. But will he find what the Father deems precious? Faith in the precious blood of Jesus. Watch this, Hebrews 10, 19 and 23. I'm going to tell you why it's so important for you and I right here. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Everybody say, draw near. With a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession. The confession of our faith of the preciousness of Jesus' blood. Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He said, draw near. It's hit me these couple weeks, what the Lord's been doing and speaking to me. Of why so many, they know, and maybe you're here today, you know, that you should seek first the kingdom. You know you should spend time talking with your heavenly Father and communing with the person of the Holy Spirit. You've heard it time and time again. And there's, there's no way to even preach it better. You've heard it. And yet we don't do it. And you know why so many don't draw near? Because they're not allowing the power of the blood of Jesus to do what only it can do. And that's cleanse our heart and conscience from evil, from guilt, from shame, from accusations. The power of the blood of Jesus is that it can cleanse our heart and conscience. Now listen to me, and this isn't a knock against counselors and doctors and all of that. But what I'm telling you is absolute truth, even though it's not a knocking set. Doctors and counselors and all those things cannot do what the blood of Jesus can do. And that's cleanse our heart and our conscience. They can do a lot of good things, but only the blood of Jesus can cleanse our heart and conscience from sin and shame and guilt. And if we don't believe and learn to trust in the precious blood. It keeps us from drawing near. And what's that? Why is that important to you? Why is that so practical to you? Because when we don't draw near, we become someone more vulnerable to whom the devil can devour. See, listen to me. Without genuine faith in the precious blood, we don't draw near and become a person whom the devil just might devour. Listen, the blood of Jesus is sufficient for our sins. You say, Pastor Chad, I know that. Of course it's sufficient for some of my sins. No, 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 listen. The blood of Jesus is sufficient for all your sins. No, 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 Pastor Chad, now don't go too far. The blood's it's good enough for some. No, no, listen. The blood of Jesus is sufficient for all. And when we see the preciousness of the blood and we see how the Father, what He finds precious is us trusting that the blood is for all and allowing it to cleanse us so that the guilt and the shame and the things that's keeping us 
from drawing near to the Father would be dealt with. And this is why the Father finds our faith so precious. Because listen, He longs for you to be with Him alone more than you could ever know and more than you even desire to know Him. That's why He provided the precious blood. And that's why it's so precious when He finds a son or daughter who will let the blood actually speak to the guilt, to the shame, to the failures, to the accusations, so that we draw near and spend time with our Father. Listen, it's sufficient for our right standing with the Father. Some of you think the Father's looking down upon you, saying, boy, daughter, son, perform for me. No, no, no. The Father doesn't find our performance as precious. What the Father finds precious is our faith in the perfect performance of Jesus. Listen, that's what's uncommon. It's become so clear to me these couple of weeks. It's not uncommon in the body of Christ to find people that work hard just like unbelievers. It's not uncommon in the body of Christ to find people that have successful businesses just like unbelievers have successful businesses. What is uncommon in America among believers is a certain trust and confidence and faith in the power of the precious blood of Jesus. And in the work and accomplishment of Jesus, that it's enough. It's enough to put us in right standing with our Creator. That the pressure's off. And the Father's arms are open. And the joyous celebration is here. And the kingdom is at hand. Listen, the blood is sufficient for judgment of the devil and his accusations. Some of you, the devil whispers, he said, listen, God would set you free. He would release you from that affliction and oppression, but remember what you did back then? And he keeps accusing you, and us listening to his accusations causes us to believe we must stay bound. The blood is sufficient to silence that liar from the beginning for us to go free. To go free. And the blood's sufficient to speak better things about our life experience and our future. Secondly, the blood affects directly our ability and our willingness and our desire to serve God. To be a part of His kingdom work. Watch this in Hebrews 9, 11-15. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God. Here it is. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. 
And for this reason, He is the mediator of the new covenant. By means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Did you see it? The power of the blood of Jesus is that it cleanses our conscience from dead works, our ability of trying to achieve and do things, thinking the Father wants us to perform and show our ability and we live with this burden of trying to prove to people that we're good, that we're worth something and look at the work of our hand. No, no, no. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all that so that we now can live serving before God. Meaning we live now with the consciousness not about what man thinks and needing man's approval. and man's. We live with the consciousness towards God. And if you read the entire first Peter, he appeals to us now living with the consciousness before God, not just before culture. Because we can't directly impact culture if we don't first live before God, then before culture. He says... In 1 Peter 2, 15 and 16, as free people. Use your freedom not to do what you want to do, but use your freedom now to be a bondservant of God. That the guilt, the shame is gone. The need to perform is gone. The, the need to find the applause for people around you in this world is gone. So now live free unto God. Be obedient to what God in Christ has created and called you to. Then he says, also as in doing good. Even when it's not convenient. Even when you're suffering for, do, for, for doing good, keep doing good. So here's the point. The blood is a powerful weapon in cleansing our heart and our conscience. And genuine faith in the provision and the power of the blood empowers us to draw near to the Father and empowers us to serve the Father and the good works that only God has made available in Christ through His ability, through His blood, through His power at work in us and through us. Then, Jesse, if you'll come, let me mention about the Word. He goes on and in 1 Peter 1 in 23, he says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Someone say forever. Because all flesh is, is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls away, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the Word by the Gospel was preached to you. He begins to talk about the weapon of the Word. That we need to understand the pattern that Jesus set, that there is sufferings as long as we're still in this body, but there is glories to follow. Also got to understand the pattern that there's surrender and trust the Father in times of the cross so that resurrection and victory can then come. The weapon of the Word is for our mind. People say... What's going to happen, Pastor Chad, beyond this trial? What's going to happen? Well, let me tell you something. i tell you what will endure beyond this trial. The Word of the Lord. The Word of the Lord will endure forever. What's going to endure, Pastor Chad, beyond this season I'm going through? The Word of the Lord will endure forever. What's going to endure, Pastor Chad, beyond these emotions I'm experiencing? The Word of the Lord will endure forever. What will endure beyond the suffering I'm going through? The Word of the Lord will endure forever. 
What will continue beyond these trends of culture? The Word of the Lord will endure forever. I tell you what will endure through this. The Word of the Lord will endure through this. So what does this mean? Peter says, therefore, build your life on and with the Word of the Lord which will endure forever. Build your marriage. Build your obedience. Build what you put your hands to. Build your life on that which will endure forever. It will endure through this season. It will endure through this moment. The Word of the Lord will endure forever. Build with Jesus Christ the chief cornerstone. Build your life this way. It's the power of the Word. Then lastly, the weapon of knowing the Father adequately. 1 Peter 1 and 17, he says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work. Peter appeals, he says, Listen, you got to understand, brothers and sisters, that our Heavenly Father... He doesn't show partiality. The word partiality means He receives the face of no one. In a culture that's completely built on what is seen, your face, do you meet the standards that society has deemed approvable or lovely? says your heavenly Father's not like that. The kingdom of God's not like that. God doesn't show partiality in what He does in His children's life based on how they look outwardly or their face. You ever heard of the way of Cain? Cain had a brother Abel. You read the book of Jude, it highlights the way of Cain. It calls it an evil way that tempts followers of Jesus. You know what the way of Cain was? Is that he believed the lie of partiality. He thought God accepted the offerings of his brother because his brother's face or something about his brother God liked more than him. And because he believed that lie of partiality, he got jealous. His jealousy led to bitterness. His bitterness led to being enraged at his brother and ultimately murder. And murder in the New Testament, you read it, equates with slander, speaking evil about brothers and sisters. Watch this, all because he believed the lie of partiality. But if you go and read it, the reason the father accepted Abel's offerings is because Abel submitted to the father's design. Not because the father received the face or the outward appearance more. Than Cain. And the power of seeing the Father adequately is the weapon to guard you and I from fighting each other, from being jealous of one another. Because if you see the Father working in another brother and sister's life, you can't believe the lie of partiality that God's doing something for them because He sees that they're more lovely than you. No, 
no, listen. What Peter goes on to say is that our Father has designed the kingdom to work a certain way. And He judges us based on our work or our surrender to the way the Father has designed the kingdom to work. And so if you see the Father working in another brother and sister, we shouldn't get jealous thinking, well, He's showing partiality. We should learn from the brother and sister what they have found about the Father's ways. And this is why when you go over to 1 Peter 3, 8 and 12, He says this, Finally, as the band comes, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. How in the world with so many opinions can we have one mind? One mind that with our Father there's no partiality. Therefore we can have compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this. That you may inherit a blessing. Watch this. Here it is. To people that were suffering. To people whose current circumstances didn't align with what they thought they would ever face. And yet Peter has the audacity. audacity. I don't know why I try, but I always try with that word. My spirit knows it. My mind can't get it out. Here's what he says to them. He who would love life and see good days let him or her refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him or her turn away from evil and do good. Let him or her seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What's Peter say? Say so you want to experience loving life because you're experiencing the Father's benefits of His kingdom, then learn that the Father has designed life to work a certain way. And learn to surrender and trust the ways of the Father instead of your own ways. And He highlights our words, our deeds, and what are we seeking and what's the motive of our life. Now, who wrote this? Who wrote 1 Peter? Geniuses. In the presence of genius. I knew it. That's why I love this church. And Peter's saying, the Father in heaven, He has no partiality. You know why Peter knows that? I mean, not here, but he knows that he knows it. Because in Acts 10, Peter, who was a, grew up a good Jewish boy, being taught and having constantly told to him that God favors us, the Jewish people, more than anybody else. And he grew up thinking God has partiality. It's because we don't look a certain way. It's because we're Jewish. Good things happen to us. In Acts 10, God gives Peter a vision three times. You know what that means? If God gives you something three times... That means it's hard for you to get it. People walk around, oh man, I got another vision. 
Well, it's actually the same one I got before. But God gave me another vision. He gave it to me before. You might want to keep that to yourself. That just means you might be (laughs) hard-headed. But listen, you know why Peter was like that? His whole culture growing up. Entrenched in his thinking that God has partiality. So God gives him a vision three times. And he shows him that even people that don't look like him, that even people that aren't Jewish, that all the Gentiles and people that have a different tongue and language, that they can be accepted by God through Jesus. And they can experience His kingdom. And they can learn the design of of the Father for their life. You say, well, that don't mean much to me. Well, let me put it in today's language. Maybe that means for us who are white, who only grew up around white people, And we might think that God shows partiality because we're white and that's why things have went good for us. Listen, the Heavenly Father, He don't receive the face and the skin color of anybody. He values all of His creation. There's no partiality based on face or color of skin in the kingdom. That black and brown and white all have same value. In the kingdom of God and to the heavenly Father. That these trials we face don't change the Father. His nature of Him not being partial remains constant. You say, that's a lot for me to believe. That's a lot. Listen. Believing the Father and believing in the ways of the kingdom can only happen through Jesus. Because listen, it's the Father who sent Jesus. Jesus didn't come on His own. That precious blood that we've been talking about and looking at, that precious blood was provided by the Father. And that blood was shed for every face of every color, of every nation, of every tongue, of every tribe. That the kingdom of God is available. And the ways designed by the Creator are available for all. But we only get there through Jesus. It's Him and through Jesus that we learn to believe in the perfect and the adequate and accurate image of our Heavenly Father. So Peter says, be sober. Be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, he walks about roar like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So brothers and sisters, resist him. Resist him with the weapons of exile. Resist him with the power of the precious blood of Jesus. Resist him with the enduring word of the Lord that endures forever. And resist him with the correct image of the Father and don't believe the lie of partiality. God's favor is available for you. His child. And you can believe it through Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.